beloved congregation. In life, we like to be independent. We don't want to be dependent on other people. We want to be able to manage our own affairs. And as such, that does not have to be wrong. It's a good thing to be independent and to be able to help yourself so that you would also be able to help others who are in need. So to be independent is not necessarily bad. But in spiritual life, we are very dependent. And it's a very good lesson to learn that we are highly dependent upon God. That the Lord Jesus tells us, without me, ye can do nothing. We cannot live one day without the Lord Jesus. We are very dependent. And it's a good thing, a very good thing to be utterly dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because with Him, you can do all things. Not that you can do anything you want, but that's what the Apostle Paul said. With Christ, I can do all things. The Apostle Paul was not bragging. He was confessing that whatever the Lord called him to do, he could do it through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through himself, because he was but weak in himself. It's the echo of what you read in Psalm 18, where David says, With my God, I run through a troop of soldiers. With my God, I jump over a wall. With my God. Because it was with his God that David killed Goliath. A commando, a trained fighter, while he was a shepherd's boy. With his God he did it. And so it's very dependent, it's very good to be dependent upon the Lord God. Those people who know they are dependent upon the Lord God and who bring their needs before the Lord will experience how they are helped in the most difficult circumstances. And that's what we read in this history, this account, what took place many years ago, around 2,700 years ago, in the land of Israel, there was a woman who was in great distress. And so we consider here the miracle of the oil of the widow. We see her misery, we see her faith, and we see her deliverance. This woman was in great need and she came to the Lord with her need. It's good, boys and girls, if you bring your needs before the Lord. 
It's good, boys and girls, when you learn to pray to the Lord at a young age, when you young people may be so led by God's Spirit that you learn to pray, that you learn not just to say a few words and go off to sleep, but when you lay your heart down before the Lord and when the Lord gives you light, that you see how needy you are, how dependent you are, that you need a new heart, you need a new beginning with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need Him to fill your heart and soul. And that's so essential that we learn to live with the Lord. And that's our greatest need. Well, this woman was in great need. What do we know about her? Well, she's a widow. And her husband was one of the prophets. It says here, the sons of the prophet. But that means he was a prophet. Because you must know in the days of Ahab and Jezebel, it was that the prophet Elijah and his successor, the prophet Elisha, that they had established schools of the prophets. They were kind of theological seminaries, Bible schools, to raise up young men who would go out among the people to preach the truth because Israel was in great disarray. The service of Baal was polluting the country and the service of Moloch was honored. There was a terrible service where they sacrificed children. And so to counter these terrible events, Elijah established the schools of the prophets, and those who were enlisted therein were called the sons of the prophets. And they were trained so that they would become prophets and go among the people and explain God's word. Well, that's how this husband was. He was a prophet. He proclaimed the word of God. And what else do we know about this man? He feared the Lord. He desired to walk in God's commandments because this woman goes to Elisha and says, Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. He feared God. And in order to fear God, he was acquainted with the miracle that God looks down upon him in grace. That's how you learn to fear the Lord. When you are aware that you are lost and that you cannot give yourself spiritual life and that the Lord intervenes in your life and He gives you spiritual life and He gives you love to Him and He changes your heart and He stoops down in mercy upon you and gives you deliverance and pours out joy in your heart, then you become so small and the Lord becomes so glorious and great, then you taste the sweetest possible joy in life when you know these dealings of the Lord with your soul and heart. And what you then do is, you start to fear God. That means you have respect to God. 
You have awe and reverence for the holiness, for the majesty, for the sweetness and the goodness and the loving kindness of God, that He is good and He does that which is good. And you are afraid to offend Him. You're afraid to go against Him. That's fearing God. Do you fear God? Are you afraid of sin? Or doesn't it mean that much to you? How you live and what your attitude is? Those who belong to the Lord, they have learned to fear God. It's fear and reverence mingled with love. The canons of Dort speak of filial fear. That's a childlike fear, like a child respects his father and loves his father, obeys his father. That's fearing God. That's what this man did, this prophet. He desired to walk in God's commandments. He had embraced the Lord. And what else do we know of this man? Well, this man had been blessed with a God-fearing wife. And the Lord had blessed their marriage with two healthy sons. What else do we know about this man? He was poor. He was poor. And that's something that can easily happen. People have been poor here before, and they can become poor again. Many of us have been blessed, but it can be changed. Poverty is something that can easily happen. Most of God's children are not rich, and that's not something to be ashamed about. And certainly not in those days. Because in those days, wicked King Ahab ruled the country with his terrible wife Jezebel. And they had incorporated the Baal service. And they were persecuting those prophets who did not want to agree with this new way of worshiping. And so they were persecuted. Some of them were killed. And to be poor in earthly goods is no evidence that the Lord has forsaken you. The last thing we know about this man is that he died. He was dead. But still he lived. Because he feared God. He went to heaven. And he is now with the Lord already 2,700 years. But he left his wife behind and his two sons in poverty. He did his best to take care of his wife and children, but he was unable to provide for them. 
Now his hope was set upon the Lord. He knew that the Lord would show mercy upon his wife and, and his two children. He must have exhorted his wife to trust in the Lord, that the Lord would take care of them like it has happened before, maybe in your with, with, with your lineage, there were those who died and they encouraged those who remained that the Lord would provide and take care of them. But at first, it didn't appear like that at all. Because this widow had nothing. She tried to do everything to take care of her two boys. And then on a certain day, she gets a visitor, the landlord, or another creditor, whatever it was. She needed to pay up. Madam, you have to pay. And if you cannot pay, I will take both your sons, and they can serve me as slaves. And the boys could then pay back the debt, pay off the debt by working for this creditor. And slowly and steadily, the debt would become less and less. As such, this was allowed by the laws of Moses, because the Lord, Lord had stipulated in Leviticus 25, when people in Israel could not pay a debt, they could work for their creditors as slaves. But when the year of Jubilee would be there, that's once every 50 years, then everyone in Israel received their ancestral possessions back again. And everything was reallocated to as it was at the beginning when they inherited the land of Canaan. And then all the Hebrew slaves had to go home. And in this way, social injustice was avoided and poverty could be avoided. But for the time being, the creditor would now take those two boys along as slaves. And so this widow had to see that after a dear husband had passed away, now her two sons had to be put in slavery. She would have lost everything she had. And in her need, she fled to the Lord. Because only God could now save her. There was no help to be expected from man. Nobody could help her. There was only one way open, and that was the way to the Lord. And therefore she went to Elisha, because Elisha was the man of God. And where else could she go? Because at times, congregation, life can be difficult. There can be sorrow. There can be afflictions. They can bring a person down. They can be so severe that you only think about those difficulties. You rise in the morning with these difficulties and you go to bed at night with these difficulties. There can be problems within the family with children. There can be sickness. There can be problems at work. And so a person can be brought in great distress. But really, all these cares of daily life, they may weigh the heaviest upon us. Because that's what we feel, this burden. But there is a distress which is greater. Our greatest distress. And that is that we are sinners. Now you may be worried about all kinds of things of daily life. And, and that's all, all legitimate. That's all very real. 
and where we may lay all our needs before the Lord. But is this the, oh, are these the only things you lay before the Lord? What about your greatest need? That you are a sinner. That you have lost the image of God. That should be your greatest concern. My and your greatest concern. Does it ever concern you that you have lost the image of God? We once had it in paradise. But we rebelled against God and we cast that image of God from us and we trampled upon it. And then the Lord came down and he picked up that image and he cleansed it. And he is now at work restoring that image in lives of people. That's why he sent his son. And one day, God will ask you and me, where is my image? And then, how awful if we would have to say, we have lost thy image in paradise. And then the Lord will say to us, but didn't you know that I came down and was willing to give you my image back again? Where is my image? And woe to the person who cannot display the image of God. And that should be our greatest concern. Because therefore the Lord Jesus came down into this world that we have a Christ, a Savior, not only for us, but a Savior in us. That He renews us. That He changes us. And that should be our lifelong pursuit. That's why we're here on earth. We're not here on earth to get forgiveness of sins and now it's fine. Now we can just live on merrily, do what we like because we're saved anyway. No, they haven't understood it. For those who have truly been saved from sins, it will be their desire that sin would die in their life, the mortification of the old man and the vivification of the new man, the quickening work of the new man, what Paul writes about extensively in the epistle to the Ephesians. And Paul writes about this in Philippians where he says that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection. What does he mean? Does the Apostle Paul not know Christ? Yes, he knows the Lord Jesus. He has seen the Lord Jesus. He has literally heard the voice of the Lord Jesus. But he needs to know so much more of the Lord Jesus in his own life and heart. He needs to be raised up in a new life that's a continual process in life. That should be your pursuit. That should be my pursuit. 
before I preach the gospel, my pursuit must be that that image of God is restored in my life. And before you do your work as elder or deacon, your first calling is that you would be renewed after His image. And that counts for every one of us. And that's a lifelong pursuit. Then you belong to the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And those people, what are they like? The Lord Jesus says, they are the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness in them. And that's what David was all about in his life. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Is that your lifelong prayer? That's what is needed. That's our greatest need, our greatest concern. The Holy Spirit shows you this through His Word. And you may pray, Lord, show me myself and show me who Thou art. You see, then the Lord Jesus becomes ultimately precious to you. Because you know you need the Lord every day, every moment. How to react in the difficulties of life towards children, towards parents, towards one another in the congregation or in the consistory. You need Him. And also in the needs of daily life, the needs that press upon you, that weigh upon you. Children, you may be concerned about them. You may lie awake about them. And you need the Lord to intervene and to guide and lead. And so you pray, that's very good. Lay all your needs before the Lord. Your needs at work. How to deal with certain men, your Workers, or your boss, everything in your marriage, how to love your wife as you should, and to honor her. You see, the Lord Jesus sheds his light in every compartment of our lives. And so all your needs you may lay before him. And that's what this widow is doing. She lays all her needs before the prophet Elisha. And thereby she's actually fleeing to the Lord. And so she says then in verse 1, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons, to be bondmen, to be slaves. Note how this woman prays. She doesn't come with her with a solution. She has none. In all simplicity, she lays her need before the Lord. Maybe you find prayer difficult. Prayer is not easy. 
Prayer takes energy. It takes time. It takes also self-denial. But in prayer, what you can do, just lay your desires, the needs, the burdens of your heart before the Lord. That's what this woman does in all simplicity. She can't help herself anymore. And that's how matters are in our daily lives, also in spiritual life. You lay your need before the Lord. You realize that you have no solution. You can't help yourself anymore. You have become dependent upon the Lord. You can only increase your debt, just like this woman. She also increased her debt. Maybe she had some side works, jobs on the side. Maybe she did house cleaning somewhere. I don't know what she may have done. But it all became worse. She increased her debt. And when the Holy Spirit works in your heart, you see also that you can only increase your debt with God. You become more and more in debt towards God. From your side, deliverance becomes impossible. Have you ever experienced that? Well, this woman had this in daily life. Maybe you've had it in daily life. And I trust, I don't know you that well, but I trust that are here who know how the Lord has intervened in things of daily life, that He gave a glorious outcome. And you still remember that. Well, don't forget that. But take courage of that to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, this woman was in great distress. But in her distress, she goes in the right direction. She goes to Elisha. And Elisha is something like a mediator between God and people. So we can say that Elisha is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is the God-given mediator between God and man. He gives full salvation the Lord Jesus saves the soul that flees to Him. He gives His blood as a full reconciliation. He gives His Holy Spirit to work in the heart of that person to renew Him, to deliver Him from the dominion of Satan. And calling upon the Lord Jesus is a matter of faith. When you see no way out, then you will call upon someone you believe who can help you. And this widow called upon the name of the Lord. And that's what you will do in spiritual life. You will call upon the Lord. Just like centuries after that, blind Bartimaeus says, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He cried to the Lord Jesus. And the woman with the issue of blood who had lost everything she had to doctors who never helped her. And she came from behind and she took a refuge by holding on to the garment of the Lord Jesus. That's what faith does. Woman, great is thy faith. Thy faith hath made thee whole. 
she fled to the Lord. And that's why this widow went with her distress to Elisha. And where do the hardships of life bring you? I hope and trust they will bring you to the Lord. Our greatest need, when it truly becomes your need, that it will bring you to the Lord. He only can be your refuge, your help. And sometimes the Lord brings us on purpose into hardships and disappointments and difficulties so that your faith will be tried, that you will be purged, that you will be thrust upon the Lord. Some people, they turn aside from the Lord. They become bitter. It's very bad. We need grace to be kept from bitterness. But you may ask everything you need from the Lord. Everything. So this woman was not bitter. She comes with her impossibilities to the Lord, for she knows that our impossibilities are God's opportunities. And so she, she casts herself down before the Lord. She doesn't have a solution. She just lays her need before the Lord. And then Elisha asks her, what does she have in her house? Well, the only thing she has is a little flask with oil. This was a little flask of oil intended to anoint one's body. In that dry, hot climate that was necessary. It was really very small, a little flask. It was insignificant. And then Elisha tells her, Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, and borrow not a few. So the woman has to go out and borrow pots and pans from all her neighbors. And she had to get as many as she could. And they all had to be empty. What a strange request. It's quite something to tell a poor widow to fill her house with empty pots and pans. But this was also a matter of faith. For God's ways are higher than our ways. It's not that that means that God's ways are not to be understood, but it means that God's ways are more blessed, more full of salvation than we realize. And by faith, this widow had to go out and ask for empty pots and pans. You should try to imagine what that must have been for this widow. She went home and she looked at the little flask. Okay. She put it back on a ledge somewhere. For the rest, she had nothing. And she went to her next door neighbor. Oh, please, neighbor, could I have some empty pots and pans from you? Do you have some more, maybe? And so she took those armfuls of empty pots and pans and put them into her home. And so she went from door to door. And the people talked about that. 
A neighbor came to me for empty pots and pans. Yes, me too. And then another asked, what are you going to do with all those empty pots and pans? What do you need it for? Are you going to start a business? But she didn't answer. She just asked, may I borrow them? You'll get them back. And she must have been assaulted. For the life of faith is always being assaulted. People around her will try to dissuade her. What are you doing it for? And her own heart inside of her must have been in tumult, in turmoil. But true faith perseveres in spite of affliction. Even if everything seems to go wrong, she holds on to the Word of God. She does what God told her through Elisha. Because faith does not even consider human possibilities, but it focuses upon God's strength. And that's how things are in spiritual life as well. When the soul goes out to Christ, and when you try to lay your needs before the Lord, and you try to look upon the living God, what happens is that there are voices around you, in your heart, and they tell you to stop praying. You've been praying so long. Why don't you just give up? And there's another voice telling you, well, if you are elect, well, then it makes sense to pray, but who knows if you are one of the elect? Probably you would belong to the non-elect. And the voice said, most people are not elected. But all those voices are lying. Those voices can tell you that your sins are too much. Why would God listen to you? And then another voice will say, oh, you don't know your sins enough. You have to be more uncovered to your sin. You have to be brought to the brink of despair. And then, then in that great need, then the Lord will intervene. So you have to wait until you know more about your sin and misery and corruption. You have to really experience that before you are qualified to ask for grace. Or another voice tells you, you have to improve yourself. Do, do, you, do your best. And so all these voices. But faith will persevere. Faith doesn't listen to those voices. Faith looks at His Word. And that is always the firm foundation. He has spoken. And the Scriptures cannot be broken. Faith looks unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of faith. And faith gets stronger in the midst of all these assaults. That's how it was with his widow as well. And then Elisha had told us something else. When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. The widow did exactly what Elisha told her. She came into her room, into her one-room home, as they would have in those days, 
with a mud floor. She closed the door behind her with her two sons. She is alone there with her sons. It's private now. No one is allowed to come in. No snoopers allowed. And there she stands with a little flask in her hand and all, all those empty pots and pans. How can she ever fill one pot with a little flask of oil? But she obeys by faith. So verse 5 tells us, So she went from Elisha and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And she holds that little flask, and there's this big pot, and she pours and pours and pours and pours and pours, and it rises up to the brim. And her one son puts that pot away, and the other son gives her an empty pot, and she starts to pour in again. And she looks at that little flask. How can that be? And she keeps on pouring, and that's also full. It keeps on running until all the pots and all the pans are filled up from that one little flask. And then she says to her son in verse 6, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And then the oil stopped. She turned it around, completely empty. When there were no more empty pots or pans, the oil stopped. The flask was empty. As long as there were empty vessels, the oil kept running. She must have been overwhelmed by this miracle. You may know of the account of Corrie ten Boom when she and her sister Betsy were taken prisoner because they hid the Jews in Harlem in Holland. And they were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp in World War II. And somehow she was able to smuggle into the concentration camp a little Bible and also a little bottle with vitamin drops. And she wanted to keep those vitamin drops for herself and her sister Betsy. And so when they received their chunk of bread, a little bit of bread, hard black bread every day, and then she got a little bottle out and she poured a few drops of vitamins upon the bread that belonged to Betsy and then to her own bread. But then she saw all those faces, those emaciated faces around her, staring at her. And then she couldn't resist. It was a little bottle, but okay, you'll all get some too. And so she gave it to all those co-prisoners in that camp, in her barracks. She couldn't resist. And somehow that little bottle was never empty. At times she was Oh, she would hold it up against that one little light bulb dangling from the ceiling of that barracks, tried to look into it, how much was still in there, but she couldn't see. And every day she did the same thing. 
pouring out drops of vitamins. And the little bottle was never empty. She could never see how much was still in there. But every day she kept on administering those drops of vitamins. And the little bottle kept on flowing until one day it stopped. Nothing more. And that was the day when they received vitamin pills from the Red Cross. You see, the Lord cared. And so the Lord cared for this widow. Corrie ten Boom writes, the miracle of the oil of the little flask of the widow was repeated. And there's that widow in her house full of empty pots. Empty? No, they're now full. Full of pots and pans. And what does she now do? Does she rub her hands together and say, now we have enough and let's see what we'll do with those? No. She's a woman of faith. She knows that's not my oil. It comes from the Lord. So she goes out of her house, shuts the door, and goes back to the prophet Elisha and tells him all that happened. And then Elisha tells her in verse 7, Go, sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. So the widow went back and she took out those pots and went to the marketplace and she could sell all that precious oil and received so much money she could pay off all her debts and she still had had enough left over to take care of herself and her sons in the future because the Lord had provided. The Lord gave full deliverance. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, the things of daily life, will be added unto you. Have you never experienced that? I trust you have when you first seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And that's what, what this woman experienced. The Lord gave her a full deliverance. And that's also how it is in spiritual life. When you have become dependent upon the Lord and you cannot save yourself anymore, and you have, you have been taught to look unto the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord Jesus will be revealed to your heart. From the pages of Scripture, you will see the the image of Christ Jesus rising up before you, you will sense His loving kindness and His goodness and His mercy and His deliverance. There will be joy in Christ. And then the soul learns to close with Christ. As the Puritan said, to close with Christ, that all the struggles about sin and about indwelling sin, that is closed, the matter is closed with Christ, because Christ is my redemption, my hope, my salvation, my kinsman redeemer, and he will send me his Holy Spirit 
to dwell in me, to daily fight against indwelling sin. You are engrafted into him. You are adopted as sons and daughters of God. He lives in you, and you desire to live for him. You become fully dependent upon the Lord. And so this woman, this widow, received a glorious deliverance. And what we see here is the result of faith. Faith works out deliverance. Faith hopes upon God's Word. When I sense His nearness, and when I do not sense His nearness, when everything may be dark, just like Christian, when he went through the valley of the shadow of death and he walked on a narrow ledge and it was all dark around him and there was a huge fire beside him and there was darkness around him and cries and he did it. He had to feel his way that he wouldn't slide off in either direction. But the Lord led him through. And how did he... How did he go through because he looked unto the Lord Jesus. He looked unto God's Word. I have to walk on the narrow path. That's how I have to walk. And that's what he did. And that's, uh, that's faith. Even when you see no change in your circumstances, when it's all dark, yet faith is obedience. It's not even so much a feeling. It is the obedience of faith. At thy word, Lord, I will cast out the net, says Peter. And at God's word, you may so continue looking unto him. For call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 50, verse 15. The Lord gives deliverance. And sometimes the Lord feels it is good that you would keep a certain cross in your life. But then he will be there to strengthen you. Like Paul, who had this thorn in his flesh, and he prayed also that it would be removed. He prayed three times. You see how earnestly he prayed. Three times. And then he received an answer. The thorn will remain. Because my strength will be accomplished in your weakness. And so it can be that a person is kept humble. That a certain cross will remain. But you're not alone with it. He will be there to guide you and to lead you. But in that greatest distress, when you realize you're a sinner before God, the Lord will give redemption. It's His most delightful work that He will say to you, I am thy salvation alone. And you know, as we look at this, this beautiful account, there's also this lesson that as long as there are empty vessels, 
the oil will keep running. As long as there are empty vessels in our life, the Lord will fill them. And so we should lay our needs before the Lord. And let they not be few. Let them be many. But our problem is that we see so little of our need. We bring so few empty vessels before the Lord. Our misery is not that we see so much distress, but our misery is that we see so little distress. There's much distress in our life. And the Lord is willing to give so much, but we don't believe Him. And that's why we don't ask of Him. We need things in daily life, but we need a spiritual life. We need wisdom. We need light upon the Scriptures. We need perseverance. We need words to speak in due season. We need spiritual life. We need love. We need hope and faith and patience and self-control. And we need so many things. And the Lord is a rich and full Savior. And the golden rule in the kingdom of heaven is, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He sent away empty. The people who don't ask much, who have so much, who don't need God in their lives, they receive nothing. And they will end up with nothing. Like the rich man in the fire, he ended up with nothing. And poor Lazarus, who had, who had nothing, but he hoped upon the Lord, he received everything. He fills the hungry with good things. It's blessed to be hungry before the Lord. And you never ask too much of the Lord. And what we also see here is God's care for daily life. The Lord knows where you live. The Lord knows what you stand in need of. Seek first Him, His kingdom, His righteousness in your life, and He will give you everything you stand in need of. As He finds suitable for you, He is a benevolent God. He is a good master. You need to experience this. Otherwise, you don't see it. But you still look at this world and you look at this life with all its attractions. And you think that's great. But you need to experience in your heart who God is. You can ask the Lord for that. That's also an empty vessel. Lord, I don't see my need. I think I'm doing quite well. And I don't see how good it is to know Thee. I hear about great joy, but it means really little to me. Well, that's an empty vessel. Lay that before the Lord. All your empty vessels... People who are dancing for joy. 
because they have met their Savior. The Savior has entered their life. Oh, lay your empty vessels before the Lord, for these people will enter the joy of the Lord, and there the oil of joy will never cease. Amen. Shall we sing, congregation? Psalter 388, we sing the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. <laughs>